for those that don't know me, I'm Karis. I'm part of the staff team here. Uh, my role is to oversee all of the social justice, social transformation projects um, and partnerships that run out of the church, um, what we call compassion ministries and partnerships. Um, and if you've been here the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been in a series called Leave for the 99, if you didn't know already, because we have hammed on about it for quite a long time. Um, but thankfully, tonight is the final installment. Uh, the series has been based on two stories from the Gospels. One is the parable of the lost sheep, and the other is Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well from John 4. Um, and just in case this is the first talk that you've heard from that series, um, the reason why we're calling it Leave for the 99 is because we've sensed that the calling on us as a community is to reconnect ourselves with what it means to be missional. So in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one that is lost. And we're turning that on its head, so to speak, recognizing that we need to leave the 1% that is in relationship with Jesus in this city and go after the 99% that aren't. And we can so easily distract ourselves with programs and um, courses and discipleship and caring for those that are in the church, which is really important, um, but we can become so comfortable in that that we neglect the 99% that are outside of this community. Um, So this final instalment is the power of invitation. Um, And William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury in the 1940s, he said this, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. And can we really and honestly say that this is true of us as a community and of the modern church today? Or have we become so comfortable in our faith that the majority of what we do is engineered for those who are already in? And um, I have to say that when Pete first brought this message at the weekend away, my heart really did it leapt for joy because I absolutely think that this is the challenge that we need right now as a church. Because when you look back at the 10-year journey of KXC, which, like we said, we'll do next week, so make sure you get your ticket, um, we started out as a group that was totally involved in its local community, and it was such a huge part of the vision that God gave us. And obviously, we haven't lost that because we have numerous compassion ministries, we run alpha courses, we do prayer on the streets, but we need to remember that our very existence has to be primarily for the benefit of our non-members. And we need to revisit what captured us at the start, what it means to wholeheartedly go after the lost, go after the 99. So um, the second story that we've looked at is Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And we have dissected that into four main learning points. Um, Leaving home, the power of story, the power of signs and wonders, the power of proclamation, and today is the power of invitation. And just in case you haven't heard it or read it enough already, we're going to, for the final time, read the story of the woman at the well. So if you want to turn to John 4 in your Bibles, um, but hopefully it should come up on the screen as well, Um, we're going to start from verse 4. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. 
When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And then just jumping to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves that this man really is the saviour of the world. So um, here is what we're going to look at tonight. How did this woman go from being the invited to the inviter? And I'm pretty sure that isn't a word, but (laughs) for the purposes of tonight, it will be. Um, And so how can we know the power of invitation in our own lives and in the lives of the 99? Well, if you remember the talks from two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, um, there is little more powerful than that of someone's story. And so that is what we're going to start with, specifically Carol's story. Everyone give Carol a round of applause. This is Carol. Hello. <laughs> uh, Carol, oh yeah, actually, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, Carol is part of Hope Church Islington, which is just up the road from here. And uh, she's also part of our Alpha team in Pentonville. I forgot to mention that I work in Pentonville when I'm not at KXE. I'm a chaplain there. Um, and we run the Alpha course in there. And um, Carol joins us on team. And so, Carol, how long exactly have you been serving on Alpha and Pentonville for? On Alpha, 
um, six years, just about six yeah. years now. Long time. Um, and so let's just dive right in there to start with the big question. Mm-hmm. How did you become a Christian? Um, well, the power of invitation is very um, instrumental today. Um, I had a guy who came to my house. I was living on a fourth floor of a block of flats, and I had a London City missionary who used to knock on my door every month, and there were 64 stairs to get up to my place, so he was quite persistent <laughs> in coming up, and I wasn't really that bothered about it, because I was kind of, um, you know, the woman at the well, um, I can identify that with that, because I had three children, I wasn't married to their father, and so I felt a bit of shame about that, but nothing too great. Anyway, he came along and talked to me about Jesus, and I thought, well, great. Um, I won't stop him. He seems like a nice guy. So um, he just came every month and spoke to me about Jesus. And um, shall I talk about afterwards? Well, yeah, please So please. he um, spoke to me about Jesus, and I thought, well, okay, that's fine for other people, but probably not for me, you know, this whole religious thing. Anyway, as I came along, um, I started to get interested in the Bible and things about the Bible. And at one point, Graham, who was the guy, the London City Missionary guy, who came up to see me, um, he talked to me about Jesus and who he was. And I started to think differently. I started to think, well, Jesus does. I was a bit ashamed of my position, you know, like I've got three kids, I'm not married, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so... um, actually listening and reading about Jesus showed me a different character than the one I kind of thought I knew. So um, I was getting quite interested in who this Jesus was. So um, Graham, uh, the London City Missionary guy, he invited me to a Bible study, and I decided to go. So I went along to this Bible study um, for eight weeks altogether, And I thought, well, if it doesn't amount to anything, I'll just pack it in. It's not a big deal. It's not true. It's not going to cost me anything. Um, So the first few weeks were interesting, but nothing major. And then uh, it was about the fifth or sixth week. I was kind of getting attracted to Jesus. You know, I was kind of getting attracted to the man, Jesus, and who he was. And, and, And it was a lot different from what I'd grown up with, the image that I'd grown up with. And because Jesus that I knew was kind of judgmental, and this, this Jesus was different. And um, so it was about six weeks in, and I was getting attracted to Jesus, but wasn't really saying too much. And then one night I said um, to Jesus, I said to God, well, look, if this stuff really is true, if it really is true, uh, you know, I felt I was at a point that I had to make a decision. If it is true, um, I need to know for sure. Otherwise, you know, this is a waste of time. So I went home, and I sat on the edge of the bed, and when the kids had gone to sleep, I said, well, God, this is it. You know, if I'm pissing in the wind, it's not going to make any difference. <laughs> nobody's going to know, are they? Who's going to know? So nobody's going to make any difference. And I haven't shaped myself up or anything, so that's okay. So I sat on the bed, and um, I said, if this is true, I need to um, do something about it. And I had this most amazing sense of assurance that I was loved, even though that's not what I was asking for. Total assurance that I was completely loved. You know when you fall in love for the first time, like, like 14, 15 or something like that? It's like just whatever it is. It's just overwhelming, isn't it? And it's just amazing. And I said, if this is true, you know, like 
and it, it just blew my mind. Mm. I was completely blown away. And um, so for, I think from there, I couldn't stop not telling other people. Mm. It was like that. I just couldn't stop. You know, I wanted everybody to know about this, especially people like me who like, weren't regular churchgoers or mm. things like that. And I just wanted everybody to know about it. Amazing. <laughs> so then, so you gave your life to Jesus. I did. And you started going to a church. Uh-huh. Can you tell us, um, there was quite a significant event that happened in your life. Yeah, there was. Um, I was, I was, we had got married at that time, I think. Um, yeah, we had. Um, he didn't want to get married. He thought this religious stuff was just another nuisance. But anyway, um, so we'd always had a bit of a tumultuous relationship and things were getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and effectively, my marriage ended in August 1992 when um, he stabbed me uh, less than a centimetre from my heart. Um, and at the time... Um, at the time I'm thinking I was sitting on the settee I remember sitting on the settee and he had tricked the curate from our church in and he shut the door and he said look I only want to talk to you for five minutes and then I'll move you know I'll I'll leave and I said okay then Um, and then that's when the stabbing happened and the curate from my church was outside the door don't ever get a curate (laughs) <laughs> was outside my door, and um, he broke the door down. I didn't scream or anything like that, but he broke the door down, and he managed to get off me. Well, I mean, I was just amazed. I was just, like, over the moon. Um, I kept telling people when I went in the ambulance, so, you know, God save me, and they must have thought I was doolally, you know. Um, I said, he did, he was there, God was there, God saved me. Um, and I suppose if this was kind of a fairy story, it would... And end with, and they lived happily ever after. But mm. it wasn't really like that. It was quite difficult. It was difficult um, contact arrangements with the kids. He kept showing up, all those kind of things. But all through that business, even though it was difficult, there was an intimacy with my relationship with Jesus that I had never encountered before. Mm. And that's what kept us going all the way through it. Amazing. Um, and then. Um Thank you for sharing that. Um, the, what happened a bit later on, or actually not that long after, yeah. um, was your involvement in Pentonville yeah. and something that has transformed Pentonville as a prison. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Well, that, that was just amazing. I mean, there were things going on. Um, I had to deal with court things and all those kind of things that go with it. Um, but the month after I was stabbed, um, we were running a community project um, in my church. And one of the things we were looking at um, was in terms of what we can do to fulfill some of the needs of the um, uh, community around us. And one of the things that we were looking at, we were church planting at the time. And so we were looking at, we had two prisons within our area. And so we were looking at um, outreach to the prisons to see if there's anything we could do that, you know, that would be helpful. So we wrote to both Pentonville and Holloway and asked if we could provide any kind of service to um, Pentonville or Holloway. And they said it was interesting because they just had a meeting the week before to um, find out, you know, to see if we could set up a play area for the children in the visitor centre 
in Pentaville and at Holloway at the time. Um, so we, we went in. Susie and I went in. We set up a small play area in the visit hall so that it would reduce the stress of the children visiting. Um, and that's how we started. In, that was 1992. That was after, you know, the um, stabbing and everything else. And that's how we began to work with the children and then with the families. And then gradually the work developed into other places and things like um, family days and um, outreach days and things like that. Mm. And after I'd been doing that for quite a time, and I, I just loved it. I always wanted to work with children, always. So it was my, like, I, I was just over the moon. And then um, Joe spoke to me and Kara spoke to me and about Alpha. So I was quite interested in Alpha as such. But um, Joe and Karis and Luke and Neil were part of the Alpha team. And they were like ordinary, everyday people. Um, I just loved the bones of them. They, they, they were just so Ditto. great guys. They were just <laughs> such great guys. And they asked if I wanted to be part of the Alpha team, like go and volunteer uh, with the Alpha team once a week. And I went ahead with it a bit nervous, and I thought, well, maybe I could do this, maybe I couldn't. But I absolutely love it. Mm. The guys are amazing. Um, the team is amazing. The, the guys in, in Pentonville are amazing. Uh, sometimes they're a bit weird, but, <laughs> but that's okay. We like True that. Story. We like weird. We're we like used, weird, yeah. We weird. like mess. And, so, and, and it's just been the most amazing, absolutely amazing blessing mm. of my life. Absolutely. Mm. Incredible. Thank you, Carol. Um, so, the second thing, story that I want to tell you is about the Alpha Course um, in Pentonville. Um, and then I have a third story as well, and maybe you'll be able to see the connection between those stories and what happened with the women at the well. Um, but basically, um, as Carol said, we were going in regularly. We have a great time there. It's been really fun. Um, quite often we would see people um, come to faith, but it was very much like the parable of the sower, where it felt like people would very quickly come to faith, and then very quickly the weeds would come up. Um, they would be enslaved all over again, um, and it can feel like really difficult work. Um, but we persevered. And then about two, three years ago, we had um, two lads that came in one day to the chapel. And um, they were just kind of regular lads. They maybe had a distant connection with religion in some way, but they were certainly not believers. And they joined about halfway through that Alpha course. So I think it was only about the second or the third week that um, it was the Holy Spirit afternoon. We obviously can't do the Holy Spirit weekend away. <laughs> so it was the Holy Spirit afternoon. Um, bless them. And um, they felt the presence of Jesus really powerfully that day. Um, one of them describes um, when he was um, waiting to receive the Holy Spirit, he felt um, arms around him. And when he opened his eyes, there was no one there. Um, and so they just caught on fire um, properly from that moment on. Um, and they began to open up, and then two others from their wing joined, and they became very close. And they would sit in the same discussion group every week that was led by Carol and led by Luke, who's my husband, who's on sound currently. Thank you very much. 
Um, and um, they became very close and um, they totally caught fire. They began to read the Bible together on the wing. They played the worship music out of their cells. They got baptized together in the prison at the summer of 2018. And they brought more people from their wing to be part of the community. At one point, over a third of the numbers on the list for Alpha were all from that specific wing. Um, and so from their group, we actually created a discipleship group on Thursdays. It's still running now. And as those guys have been released or been transferred to other prisons, um, there definitely seems to have been like some kind of spiritual legacy that's been left. Um, so every guy that's in our Thursday group now was invited by one of the guys before. And they're just as on fire and just as hungry and are starting to come out of the prison, are starting to join our congregation here, which is just really exciting and something that we have longed for for a really long time. And sometimes I walk along that landing and I think about those original four and I look at the guys we have now and seeing that, like, it's like a brotherhood that's been created, even though they don't all know each other. Um, but what has happened is that the invited became the inviters. Um, and so with those original four, we knew that we were seeing something very real. We knew that we were seeing transformation. And we hoped and prayed for more of it. Um, but there was one point where I think we sort of woke up to actually how this was all happening and how real it was. Um, when Amy, Dolly, shared a story with us. So Amy, would you like to come up? <laughs> so Amy was a part of our Alpha team for about a year, um, your last year of studies. Um, she led worship for us pretty much every week. We are so thankful. <laughs> it's not really the same without you, but... Um, we struggle on. Um, you had to leave because you obviously had to get a job. Like a boring um, adult. Yeah. <laughs> and you got a job with an MP. And you had a very interesting day at work one day. Do you want yes, to tell us about that? Yes. So um, I work for an MP for a constituency in East London. Um, and I was just at our advice clinic one Friday. And this guy came in. He was meant to see the MP. Um, but the MP was busy, so he passed him on to me, the humble old caseworker. Um, and he was just—he sat down in front of me and was telling me all about his parking fine. He got like a parking ticket, and the council aren't refunding it. So I was being empathetic, taking down the details of the case. Uh, and then he mentioned that he works at a gym in a prison. So my ears pricked up, and I was like, "Oh, which prison?" And he said Pentonville, so I was like, oh my gosh, I'll go to Pentonville, like, so crazy, <laughs> a small world. Um, so we had that cool moment. And then, um, so I knew two of these guys that you were talking about through Alpha in the Sunday services, um, and they're quite, like, they're quite hench guys, they're quite big. So I thought, they probably go to the gym there. So um, I asked this guy if he knows these two men, and his face lit up, and it turns out he does know them. Um, and then this is the key bit. He said to me, um, those guys have changed so much. They are such good men. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, like, I don't think you know how much that means to me to hear that. Um, so then I could swoop in and be like, that's Jesus, my friend. Um, <laughs> so we had, like, a cool conversation about um, the redeeming love of God and, um, yeah, church communities and how that impacts people. Um, so that was just so encouraging and testament to what this team are doing. Um, and, yeah, I just... It just, I think it's amazing how God changed the lives of um, just two men locked away in a prison with little to no contact with the outside world. And that's impacted this random guy in East London. 
And by the grace of God, that story has got back to me, so I can be encouraged and the team can be encouraged. And it's just, it's such a, it's not a coincidence. It's a mm. God instance. Um, and then I saw him the next Sunday. He was at Pentonville, which was weird because he doesn't work weekends, but I think he was called in for an emergency or something, a gym emergency. Um, and then he came in and he saw me and he was like, Amy, hi. So the council. And then just gave me some more work to do over the weekend. But um, thanks to the negligence of the local authority, his parking ticket, it's still not refunded, so he has to keep coming back to see me so I can keep talking to him about Jesus. Yes. So, yeah. Amen. Everyone wins. Thank you. So good. Okay, so why am I telling you these three stories? Um, well, hopefully you can see some parallels here between what happened with the woman at the well, what happened with Carol, what happened with the boys in prison. Um, and you could sort of describe their journeys like this. They were met with love in the middle of their circumstances. They were invited into an encounter with Jesus and their true value in him was revealed to them. They then shared their story and invited others into it and their communities received the impact of their own transformation. Um, So what does it mean to meet someone in the middle of their circumstances outside of this family that we call church? To do this, we need to die to ourselves a fair bit. We need to sacrifice our time, our own wants and needs in order to be present in other people's lives. Right at the start of the story, you see that Jesus has gone ahead without the disciples and he's tired. He could have hung out with the disciples, he could have gone food, but he didn't. He knew that there was a higher purpose in that moment and that he needed to meet this woman at the well. And I'm sure that Graham was dying to himself every time he climbed those 60 (laughs) steps um, in the hope that Carol would come and know and understand her value in Jesus. And he let go of comfort. Jesus let go of comfort. We need to do the same thing. How many of us will approach Sunday as a time to just catch up with friends, get our worship feels on, get our needs met before heading into the week? How many of us don't invite others in because it's way more fun to enjoy this bubble that we've created for ourselves? I know that I've definitely felt that way, but we have to embrace sacrifice and we can't afford to lose that in today's church. I want you to listen to this brutal quote from Martin Luther King of the church in his time. If the church of today does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authentic ring, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. (laughs) That is just, that like hit me to the gut when I read that because it's still as relevant in this century as it is for the last. And the last thing that we want is for church to become an irrelevant social club. And yet it's always in danger of tipping into that. We've got to recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church. Now, one of the things that we can't escape about this story and one of the most defining characteristics of the woman at the well was that she was a rejected person. She represents a multitude of people today who have been cast to the margins of society, and not just society, but painfully also the church. And if you want to understand that more, you need to listen to the other talks, because I haven't got enough time to go into why she was rejected, but she was. Um, and so I just want to sort of sidestep here briefly to stop and give credit to um, one particular part of our body, um, and that's those in the church who serve on the Compassion Ministries and partnerships. And you're going to hate me, but if you serve on one of the Compassion Ministries um, and partnerships in this church, I'd really like you to stand up. Any of these are coming up on the screen, whether it is weekly, fortnightly, monthly, please stand. Um, any of the projects here, 
Um, even if it's occasional, um, Pete, you need to stand up because and John, you both talk on the Alpha course. Thank you very much. Um, thank you. I basically want to take this moment to say thank you to all of you. Um, you are living examples of Jesus' love towards the women at the well. You've given up your time, your energy, your social life, your lions, anything that costs you because you know that people need to know the love and compassion and radical generosity of Jesus. And I just want to say thank you for being on these teams. Um, Some of the people that you serve really know what it means to be rejected, know what it means to reject themselves. Um, Some of them will have experienced pain from a really early age. Um, Thank you for revealing Jesus to those people and inviting them deeper into belonging. You are very important in this church community. We need you, we need more of you, um, and you carry the heart of this church into the local community, so thank you. So it takes sacrifice, but it also takes perseverance. It takes a persistent commitment to prayer, a persistent commitment to sacrifice. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, i.e. this stuff is not easy. It isn't supposed to be easy, but it is a lot of fun. (laughs) I wonder if the first time that Carol um, rejected Graham's door knocking, whether he just thought, ah, sack it off. It's too hard. Or when Dan and Damalola and the team are out um, praying for people on the streets, if they're just like, oh, it's too hard today, just like forget about it. Um, But actually, they don't. They keep going, knowing that God is calling them to the lost. Jesus, Jesus patiently persevered with the woman at the well, with all her questions and her ups and downs, because he knew her value and he wanted her to know it too. And nothing should drive us more than people receiving the revelation of their insane value in Jesus. That's what drives me in my work um, here and in my work in the prison. And the moments where it pays off and you see the penny drop, it's beautiful, it's incredible, and it's, it's, it's such an adventure. Thirdly, it takes vulnerability and love. And as Dan said last week in his talk here, this woman ran back into her town, effectively like waving her shame above her head. The very thing that others had used to oppress her, she was using as an invitation for others to meet Jesus. Come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. She made herself vulnerable for the sake of others finding themselves in Jesus too. And she went back into the community that had rejected her and invited them in. And this is how the kingdom of heaven works, isn't it? It's always upside down. It probably took an insane amount of courage for her to do that, but I almost imagine that the joy that she felt, she wouldn't even notice that she was being courageous because of the joy that she'd found in meeting Jesus. And I see that with the guys in prison when they find faith in Jesus, sharing it in such a vulnerable way, but such a joyful way, in a place that's so toxic and so dark and has so much anger and bitterness. And there they are sharing their stories joyfully with one another that the prison might be transformed because of it. One of the guys on our Thursday group, we baptised Christmas morning, um, just gone. And um, to hear him share in front of about 80 prisoners why he loves Jesus um, was just incredible um, why his life has changed. And actually there were people, guys at the back, who couldn't see him being baptised that were standing up to get a better view. There was such an atmosphere in the place because it was different. Um, and I just love it when I see them um, display that extraordinary vulnerability and extraordinary courage. 
So it's worth asking the question as I come into land, um, is our own fear of vulnerability stopping us and stopping others from experiencing the power of invitation? Is the reason why it's hard to share your faith and invite others in because you actually aren't sure yourself or because you aren't sure you have all the answers or because you think your own life is not worth sharing? If so, then just let me stop you there and tell you that it doesn't matter. We're not unanimously called to share our deep theological gifting with the lost. We are called to share our lives, the good, the bad, the doubts, the highs, the lows. Love and compassion and invitation has to be our priority. Um, The man in the prison who first invited those guys to Alpha, um, he was battling a crippling drug addiction at the time. You know, he didn't have it all sorted, but he pulled others into something greater than himself because he knew what it meant for the wider community, for for transformation for that wider community. So, in effect, it's not about projects or courses or food handouts or charity. It's not about one-off conversations with the street homeless to make ourselves feel good that we've done a, a good deed and we've reached out to someone that day. It's not even really about Sundays. It's about being with people. It's about purposefully putting yourself in the sometimes very inconvenient and tiring position of sharing your life and your ups and your downs and your story with someone who doesn't know what it is to know Jesus and then inviting them to experience them, him for themselves so that our community can be transformed. The Samaritans in the women's town were drawn to Jesus because of her testimony, but it was actually because of her invitation afterwards that they came to meet him. They would never have known Jesus if it wasn't for her. And that means that's a huge effect on us now. They were the first non-Jews to hear this message. The passage ends with them saying, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. We are called to invite the lost into Jesus' presence and then allow him to do the work in them so that they will invite others to experience the same and then our communities can be transformed as a result. Um, And I just want to finish by reading you a letter. So this week we went to visit one of the four guys who's still finishing his sentence in another prison. Um, He writes to the office sometimes and I asked him, it was so good to see him, and I asked him if it's okay for me to share a bit of one of the letters that he wrote to us recently, and he was really up for it, which is great. Um, So he said this, To Karis and all of the family at KXC, Sorry, I haven't written any sooner. Please forgive me. I didn't mean to be rude. Just life has been moving so fast at the moment. It was fabulous to see you when you came to visit me. Thank you so much for making the journey and giving up your time in your very busy schedule. I was overwhelmed when I returned to the wing. I deeply miss all of you, and I'm so happy that you were all there to see me through the first year of my sentence. It was some of the darkest moments of my life that were turned to light because of your presence and Jesus. I'm very thankful for my situation at the moment, and I try to seek God with everything. I'm actually listening to your KXC worship album as I write this letter. It's a great lifter. (laughs) By the way, the Alpha course is starting soon here, which I pray is good. But I doubt it will beat Bentonville's. (laughs) Thanks again for everything. 
Um, this guy, the Alpha course, it starts there next week, um, and he's going to be a leader on that course. Um, the chaplain there has got to know him, has entrusted him with this leadership. Um, so he's going to be inviting other people, just like Carol, into his story. And I've no doubt it's going to have a massive effect on the lives there and on the prison community as a whole. So let's take something of him into our community. Um, Let's learn from this example um, and be bold, inviting others into our story and into this church.